Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, in particular St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. Yes, they do. Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 everywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget the free We Fish ASA app for iPhones and iDevices at the Play Store. Don't forget that our website is wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is recorded at two separate studios in Northern Illinois. We send the audio down to our executive producer, the one and only Brad Nearman, down at Berserk Productions in Lando Lakes, Florida. Hey, Brad. On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnson from St. Croix. Bill Taylor, just retired as tournament director of Major League Fishing. Great guy. I'd like to hear what he's got to say. And then uh, I'll be visiting with the one and only Tin Man himself, John Cox, the busiest man in professional fishing. Absolutely think John Cox is the coolest. But first, speaking of cool, let me turn it over to Dave Kranz, who's going to bring on our friend, Dan Johnston. Hey there, David. Take it away. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast. And as always, this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. I'd like to welcome back Dan Johnston. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. You know, we're uh, we're in a grip of winter right now, and uh, but we're, we're thinking spring, and we're thinking winter, and we're thinking tackle, and, you know... Uh, we uh, decided we would talk about uh, the length of rods, you know, the long rods versus short rods. How rods, uh, how do you come up with the uh, length of rod? And you as a, uh, in the manufacturing end of our business, uh, probably know why and wh- how that's driven. So give us a little uh, head- headlights, uh, uh, you know, give us the vision of, of why these rods are developed that in certain lengths. Yeah, it's a good topic because a lot of our listeners out there are gearing up for the spring. And so they're either going to the sports shows, God willing, if they have it, or they're going into the independent retailer after they've done an inventory and what's in their boat, trying to find holes they're missing. But one question we get asked, Dave, all the time, and St. Croix being the United States' largest rod manufacturer, I get asked this all the time. So, you know, from 10,000 foot up, I would say this on rod length. And this is really transfers across all species. The, the, the long, a long rod, let's talk about bass, but I know a lot of the other species will apply too for the listeners that panfish and walleye and so forth. The longer rods, number one, control fish beautifully when you're fighting them. Um, oftentimes in certain actions, they protect light line really well, um, as evidenced by what fly rods do. Um, and but they also throw farther with the same amount of effort assuming everything is static for example if we have the exact same reel exact game everything it'll throw farther because it's a longer lever and that's physics it's basically a longer wider arc because the rod's longer 
more equally as important you can you, they pick up more line on a hook set because of the same reason when you're coming back with it it picks up more line so the obvious advantage to that is if you get bit way out on something or if you want to pick up slack like on a frog bite the last thing you want is any disconnect when you set the hook on a frog fish you know 90 feet out in slop now to the converse the short rod the tips closer to your hand so they're very accurate um, you can do a lot of wrist casts, roll casts, vertical jigging. They're beautiful. Uh, for example, the walleye angler, the t- if, especially if they're holding two of them, um, assuming, assuming we're not in big seas and a high wall boat. Um, and they're also very compact. You know, they're very portable, you know, so th- that's why we're all over the place, Dave. I mean, really, from the ultralights to the heavies, we, you know, we go from four, six, all the way out to Lord knows what. Not too many years ago, we were up to nine foot, you know, when BASS made that legal. So um, I, it's a great topic and you can get more, you can, you know. Get me more detailed by whatever question you want to ask. Yeah, the uh, fighting a fish. I, I like the uh, the uh, analogy to the fly fly rod fighting a fish, especially fish that are coming out of the water and breaking the surface. That that longer rod can definitely be an, uh, an advantage. And you and I, uh, I think, had a private conversation about this at one point. And I was telling you that I was going into some seven six rods for fishing smallmouth, like on the St. Lawrence, because those fish do come to the top a lot. And when they bust, it's just easier with that. It's only six inches but why is that why is it so much better to fight one with from seven foot to seven six yeah well it's a great question and i'm gonna get a little weedy i'm gonna answer that question by being a little creating a little more disparity between seven and seven six let's say six foot versus seven foot okay now let's say a, a small mouth they're notorious for coming up like a rocket on slack line and trying to jump on you that they do it way faster than largemouth do so in other words you're reeling and reeling and you're seeing your line coming up and they're coming up mach 12 and they come mile out of the water so that short rod let's imagine that smallmouth they're very muscular and compact and they jump and they start shaking their head that longer rod is going to absorb those head shakes, number one, obviously, because it's almost like being hooked to a long willow limb versus a real short stick and trying to get away. It does what you do. It gives with you. But more importantly, and a little more weedier, that longer rod absorbs the slack that's being created by that jump quicker with a shorter arm movement back to you as an angler. So if that if that fish comes up and jumps and I have a six-foot rod, I can try to pull back and reel or do whatever, whatever I want, and I'm not picking up as much slack which is critical, especially any bait that's got weight in it that's in that fish's mouth, than I could with a seven-foot rod for obvious reasons because the rod's longer. So it's that slack that is reduced through all the fighting of a fish, whether it's jumping or coming at you or the original hook set or whatever that's advantageous with that longer rod. Excellent, excellent explanation on that. I like that. Do you think that the, uh, this? I mean, we've first started fishing with, you know, a 5.0 or 5.3, you know, uh, was a pretty normal bait casting speed. Um, and the spinning reels were, were much lower at that time. But now we're, we're seeing speeds on reels and length on rods, um, both both increasing. And do you see that continuing? Or is it just, be, are we going to keep the, uh, the speed of these reels and the speed and the length of the rods are going to peak at some point? 
Great question, Dave. I, I'm going to give everybody my opinion. I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of increase in speed on a reel or a length on a rod, from shipping challenges to really the most important thing, the advantage to the angler. When you get a rod that's too long in a casting rod, you lose the rod's speed in the air. And I can illustrate that to anglers at sports shows by the pitch of the swish when I rip the rod through the air with nothing on it compared to a, a seven-foot rod versus a nine-foot rod. I can get a higher pitched swish which means that rod's going faster so there's a law of diminishing returns there but i I would want to hit on this too i don't care what speed reel you use with regard to hook set the fact that that long rod picks up more line there's not a reel on the planet that's going to pick up line faster than a long rod sweeping through the air compared to a short rod so that's the number one thing when we're talking about flipping for bass or throwing them for example you're better off with a i'll make this statement to clarify that you're better off with a 5.1 reel and a seven and a half foot rod for a frog than you are with a 10 to 1 and a 6 foot rod not even close because that original sweep of that rod picks up so much line that a reel could never pick up now once you get them pinned and they're swimming at you and you're having to reel absolutely that fast reel comes into play but that rod length becomes so critical on picking up slack on the hook set a lot of people overlook that yeah and i guess if you think about it uh it's it's actually quite hard to reel while you're setting the hook because you're you're leaning on them well, but but you can reel down the slack to get the hook set. Yes. And we can talk about that on a whole other podcast. <laughs> the last thing we want to do is set the hook on slack. No. Like you get bit on a jig. That's why you watch somebody experience. They, they take their time. A lot of times you hear them say there's one. And you'll have two or three cranks. They're into it to get connected. That's where that fast reel is awesome. And more importantly on a fast reel, totally different topic, but you denying 95% of pitches where you don't get bit, it just gets it back to you quicker so you can get out again. So that's a whole other discussion, but the rod length is critical. And we want to, for example, that, that spinnerbait rod is around that six, six to seven foot. Um, a, a little vertical dock rod for crappies can be five foot. Uh, your frog rod is seven foot minimum. I will literally debate people. I won't let them buy a six foot rod for throwing a frog. It's not in their best interest. I'm not doing my job. Right. So we get pretty adamant about certain things that we know have been backed up from years of not only us doing it, but other people that fish at a higher level than we do telling us to do it. I like the explanation. Uh, So rod materials have allowed us uh, to build longer rods that are still serving the purpose. Well, rod materials is a whole nother thing because you can you can slow down the deflection. For example, using like St. Croix, we use blends of carbon and glass. And you can have a seven-foot rod that's a straight high-strain carbon compared to a seven-foot rod that's a glass rod. And the fact they bend completely different affects everything we talked about. From hook now, they'll both pick up line, but you wouldn't want to throw a frog with a glass rod. So, Ed, I mean, you'd, you'd be running to the back of the boat to even pray that you'd catch one out of ten. So you, you want to understand the composition of the rod in regard to the stiffness of the material for sure. But rod length plays into that as well. So, for example, in crankbait rods, you have short rods and long rods. Both oftentimes have some type of glass, at least, composition to them. And do you see that continuing to where the uh, materials are being uh, blended to create the right actions and, and, uh, and powers? 
you know, St. Croix is all over that, Dave, because we have complete control over what we do, so we can play with things like that. And there, there's that old glass fan, and then there's that carbon fan. But, boy, there's a lot of people in the middle because you get the small diameters, the lightweight, the casting accuracy of carbon. But then you get the deflection, the pinup capability, and the fish flat out getting it of glass. So it's the best of both worlds, and, man, stay tuned because we're all over that. Excellent. As always, uh, you, you uh, give us a good seminar on the podcast, and uh, I uh, hear a lot of good comments from uh, listeners uh, about this segment, and uh, truly appreciate uh, Dan Johnson every week. Yeah, Dave, thanks as always. Oh, no problem. That was Dan Johnson, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth, and Steve Starley's remote. I am Dave Kranz. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back after these messages. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit keepamericafishing.org and pledge to pitch it. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. And I always like to say that whoever I have on this segment uh, has a passion for the outdoors, and our next guest certainly does. He is Mr. Bill Taylor. He is now retired Senior Director of Operations for Major League Fishing. Welcome to the program, Bill. My pleasure, Dave. I'm glad to be on here, and... Uh you guys uh, always do a great job. I've uh, known you for some time now, and you're quite the angler yourself. And, uh, yeah, I'm in retirement. I'm going to make good use of it. I, I see that. You said you're going to make time for both hunting and fishing, and I think that's awesome. But uh, let's take let's go back a little bit. How did it all start that you, uh, um, you, you had a career before this? I saw that you worked for UPS for, uh, for what, 30-some years, 33 years, and, and, and uh, then you started doing your – your second uh, career. That is correct. Uh, actually, uh, I, I'm proud to say that I first fished the very first event at the former Operation Bass. That was owned by Mr. Whitaker, uh, uh, and uh, at that time, uh, that was the only circuit out there that was kind of a, you know, a stay-at-home working guy type event and uh, I fell right in on that and I fished those all through the 80s and in 1989 then um, 
after a great career fishing the uh, BFL Redman Tournament Trail, I was offered a position part time, and uh, it just so happened my daughter was in college and starting college, and uh, I took a part time job to help subsidize that. And, and uh, the rest is history. I planned on retiring from that position or, or resigning from that position in 1996 when she got through graduate school. But uh, I was invited along to fish the, or to participate and work the uh, new to the sport, the FLW Tour, a televised event, going to be a top level pro circuit. And I stayed on there until I retired in 2000. And then um, uh, from UPS, and then. Uh, I was offered a full-time position as tournament director soon thereafter, and here we are. Now I'm retired after 21 years of that, so uh, it's been a great ride. It has, and um, you've been there for a long time. Uh, where do you think the bass fishing has gone since when you first started to now? Well, it's, it's just uh, tremendous. Uh, it's been a great ride, like I said. Uh, uh, I've met so many great people out there, whether they were the sponsors or whether anglers or whether they're just a, a fan of the sport. Uh, it's just been a tremendous, tremendous experience. I've traveled all over the United States. I've been on uh, and either fished or been on, uh, I counted it up the other day, 87 different reservoirs or fisheries in the nation uh don't know how many people's beat that number but uh uh it's been quite the ride i guess i've, I've seen it evolve i've seen it do it all uh, i've seen it go into the digital age uh, obviously that's pretty new but uh i guess the biggest thing was is uh when we went to uh the sponsored jerseys and the sponsor wrap boats and trucks and i was heavily involved with that transition as at that time uh uh, FLW was at the top of their game, so to speak. Uh, we were sponsored by Walmart, and uh, uh, the corporate America was joining the fishing ranks. And from there, I think it just escalated to what it is today, and it's uh, it's really doing well. Yeah, and I think you realize how well it's doing when you get non-endemic sponsors come into the game. Oh yeah, that's a that's a must. Uh, obviously, that's a must. Uh, you know, there's some great great. Uh, endemic sponsors out there from the strike kings and the mercury outboards and right on up to the boat manufacturers uh they're good and they're and they support tournament fishing to the hundredth degree but we've got to have uh, non-endemic people out there you know and uh, people like general tire that offer so much to the consumer uh due to the fact that hey they're 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 involved in fishing and hunting and all the outdoors and I recommend anyone, Dave, and I'm sure you do as well, that uh, as an angler or hunter or whatever you do outdoors, uh, support those that support you, your activities. And uh, you, your activities will get more fun and easier to do and more places to do them at. Just be a lot of fun and uh, be pretty rewarding as a tournament angler. Excellent. Any um, high point or, or a highlight of your career or, or there's probably dozens of them but are there uh, is there one or two that you would say really stick out in your mind well there's many uh there's many certainly the transition to major league fishing was huge even though it's the end of my career here uh, it was just phenomenal uh, i was excited when i first got the rumor of that uh but probably when i look back uh on everything that our company did was when it got involved in college and high school and uh, 
At first, uh, whenever they called me into the office and said, look, we're getting ready to uh, uh, possibly do some high school and college events, what's your thinking point here? And I thought to myself, uh, oh, no, no, no. And then all of a sudden I realized, you know, what an opportunity it was as a company, what an opportunity it was for the fishing industry. And it was the best thing that any of us have done when we got into high school and college fishing. And that's going to be the lifebone of our, of our sport. Yeah, it's uh, and being from Illinois, we have a lot of teams here. And I believe we were the first state that had high school uh, teams, I, I believe. I, I think they probably were. And uh, I know Dave Washburn has worked diligently with uh, Illinois High School Athletics Association and others. Uh, and but uh, yeah, you guys set the you set the uh, the the bar pretty high up there, and still do. Yeah, there's a lot of good kids that get into this, and then they go to college. and And uh, I had talked with uh, Joel Pogger recently, and I I said that you know the for the ones that don't go to college, um, they're they're not missing out on this because they can jump. Major League Fishing has the true path, and they can jump into a BFL and get the fish against some excellent talent. Oh, my goodness. I tell you, it's just it's proven uh, week after week after week. I mean, I just looked at the the uh, Major League Fishing Tackle Wirehouse rookies coming in and how many of those guys come out of the college ranks directly in the Toyota Series, qualified, and now, and a couple of them now has already moved into the Bass Pro Tour. I mean, Dakota E-Buyer and uh, those guys like that. Uh, uh, they're just uh, phenomenal anglers coming out, but what a great opportunity for guys, uh, young people, to get involved at a young age and uh, really make a decent or excellent living from the sport. Uh, you know, the sport's been good to me. I know that for a fact. Uh, I can't complain, uh, but uh, I wish I'd had the opportunity as a young angler that these guys have. Uh, Maybe I'd have been a professional angler rather than a, a, a long-time retiree coming out of the wood. Well, well, we're going to go on to career three here. You said you're going to do a little fishing, so so that's that's not done yet. I mean, I, I mean, look at me. I I didn't jump level stars fifty nine, and I'm sixty three. So yeah, we we, we need uh, we need the uh, senior tour. Well, well, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about the senior tour. You know, there's been several of them out there that's tried it, and it just didn't succeed. The, the numbers are not there uh, mm-hmm. for the seniors. And what I mean by that, they're content with fishing at the BFL level as a boater or co-anger, or they're content to fish as a senior in the Toyota series or, or whatever. And uh, it's proven in our pro circuit that, and the Bass Pro Tour that uh, a lot of guys that's Getting up there a few years on them, uh, you know, they still compete very well. But, hey, don't let the age stop you. I, I'm going to go after it full bore. I still fish a lot, and uh, I'm going to continue to do that as long as my health holds up. And uh, I'll support Major League Fishing. My goodness, they've been good to me. Uh, I'm going to be an ambassador for them as long as I live. And uh, uh have to say uh, uh, a good word or two here for Kathy Fennell or Dave Washburn that I run the operations uh, uh, part of the major league fishing. And then, of course, Boyd Duckett and Jim Wilburn and everyone, Don Rooks and all the other people up major league fishing. Uh, unbelievable business people, unbelievable people. And I uh, can't say enough about this company. I just wish they'd have come along a little sooner in my career. 
Yeah, and it, it back, and it is a business. Maybe and they, back in the early 80s. <laughs> there you go. But uh, as you said, you can still continue to do it, and the fisheries are great, and, and so many of these tournaments are going north now where we get the fish for the smallmouth as well as the largemouth, and it's, uh, you know, anymore, if you better be good with both a spinning and a casting rod, or you may not be able to compete at any level. And uh, Oh, you hit it right on the nail on the head. Uh, that's the reason that these young anglers are are, uh, are, are so advanced. Uh, I'll tell you, when I first started in, I remember when the flipping technique came out, and uh, most of the anglers were hesitant to, to get involved in that. And the reason being, they thought it uh, kind of um, put their boater partner or their co-angler partner or their ever who was fishing with them at a disadvantage. But, but many learned it, and that's how I uh, did so well early on in my career. I, I started flipping right when it come out. But, yeah, you've got to be versatile. That's the main deal. You've got to be able to do it all. Now, uh, with that being said, our new electronics are absolutely phenomenal. You know, companies like Lawrence has just got some of the best equipment out there. And I'll tell you, you know, uh, I'm a little hesitant to uh, – uh, advance my fishing uh, with electronics, but I tell you, if, if I've got an opportunity out there, I'm going to use them, use them properly to my advantage. And if you don't use them, uh, you're going to be left behind. You've got to, uh, you've got to advance as the equipment and um, uh, everything, and your tools uh, advance. You've got to advance with them. Absolutely, and. Uh... You know, this uh, This has been a, a fun journey watching you, and I look forward to watching you on the uh, the circuit, and maybe we'll be fishing in some tournaments against each other, and that'll be fun, too. Uh, I truly appreciate your time, Bill Taylor, to, uh, to be on the We Fish ASA podcast, and I uh, wish you nothing but happiness in retirement. Well, I appreciate that, and yes, um, I, I look forward to meeting you out there in the field, and uh, if you ever need anything from Bill Taylor, uh, I'll say this, just give me a call. You've got my number now. Punch it in your phone. And uh, if I can do anything to help you guys, let me know. And I appreciate the call. Thank oh, we appreciate that, Bill. That was Bill Taylor, retired senior director of operation for Major League Fishing. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. And this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta. We're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting rail. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. 
MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. My name is Steve Sarley. My partner's name is Dave Kranz, but he's not here. He's remote. We're still uh, social distancing for COVID. We'll be back together in the same studio someday. You know, We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericanfishing.org. And if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. Our next guest is one of the best bass fishermen on the planet. He is definitely one of the busiest. Uh, nobody fishes uh, with, like this like this guy does. He's got an incredible schedule. I'd like to thank him for uh, taking some time out of his busy schedule to join us today. One of our favorite fishermen. Please welcome the real John Cox. Hey, John Cox, how are you? Good. How are you, Steve? I'm I'm doing great. I'm doing great, and uh, uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll preface this by saying I say the real John Cox because I had you on before, and I was asking you questions, and I wish I could have seen your face. I know your eyes would have been rolling. As uh, so I, I, I said, I saw a video of you dancing on the internet, and you're like, yeah, and. Uh, Apparently, there's, a, there's another John Cox that fishes smaller circuits, and I was a tad confused. I will never live that one down, but you are the real John Cox, and we're pleased to know you. Uh, no, you, you got me good that time. Oh, no, no, that's, that's unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I make my share of mistakes. I just don't want to make any more with you. Let's talk about your schedule. The, the big buzz was the fact that... Uh, Jack Cox is only going to fish two professional circuits uh, in total for this coming year. That's taken uh, a 33% cutback from what you've done before. Explain how many, explain what you're fishing this year as opposed to what you fished last season. Um, you know, it, uh, it, you know, I'm only going to fish uh, the two trails next year instead of the three, but, um, but it's still, it's honestly, it's only uh, maybe four tournaments less than I was fishing, uh, and I'm not going to have to miss any. So that's, uh, um, it's still, I want to say it's still like maybe 19 tournaments, 20 tournaments, still quite a few. Um, so we're going to be fishing the Bassmaster Elite in the uh, Tag Warehouse Pro Circuit, and, uh, and we'll also be in the, uh, in the Bassmaster Classic at Greenville, South Carolina, and then I think like three weeks later, be in the uh, Red Crest in uh, Grove, Oklahoma. So that'll be a, that'll be really cool being able to fish both of those next year. Yeah, I, I would I would definitely I would definitely think so. Uh, we, we and it, it basically all comes down to the fact that uh, it's just a matter of not desire because you would fish every weekend if you could, knowing you. But there's just things that you can't do uh, because of overlaps and bumps. You are not allowed to fish in any more tournaments or any of these tournaments that clash, right? Yeah, I mean, there. So what um, you know, what's happened like last year was, you know, I went and fished one 
uh, prior to um, one of the other ones. So then I got disqualified in the in the second one I would have went to. Um, so you know you got to make sure there's no of those uh, any conflicts like that, and then also just uh, tournaments landing right on the same week. You know, miles away from each other. So, um, you know, that's the other thing, and that was that was pretty much the one reason why I didn't uh, be able to fish all three next year. Uh, there was just too many conflicts in a, a couple of them, and uh, I was going to have to miss some real key tournaments like the Classic and uh, uh, Lake Hart or Lake um, uh, or whatever. So I was really, really couldn't uh, couldn't pass up those lakes. So uh, you know. But uh, the schedule lays out great, though. I'm, I'm excited. No, I, you know, I looked at that. I remember, I remember last year, late uh, opening up my my email, uh, my email inbox, and I see a headline: uh, Jack Cox disqualified. I go, that can't be. This guy's as uh, he's as uh, big a straight shooter as they come. Uh, you know, disqualified to me means something bad, and that didn't happen to you at all. Uh, the headline just the headline just shocked me. It was the fact that you were not allowed to fish one because it had come within a certain time limit of another. And if you would have gone ahead and done it, it would have cost you a shot at the Classic, right? Yeah, I mean, so what was crazy was, uh, you know, I decided to do the first one that was on the St. Lawrence, which was... Uh, the Bass Pro Tour, because the fish were still spawning, I thought I had a, a better shot to win that one. So that was, uh, so I went to that one, and I led it all the way until, like, the last day. I think I won my round or whatever. So I was like, oh, man, this was this, this was a good call, you know? And then uh, I ended up not winning. Wheeler ended up winning that one. But, um, you know, and then getting disqualified in the other one was awful. So I actually had to, I had to sit at home, and I had to watch, because that was the final uh, Bassmaster Elite tournament of the year and i had to watch and watch as the guys weighed in and watch me fall further back in points uh and i ended up the only way i got in was i was the, I was the last guy out and uh takiito won and so he was double qualified and that got me in so yeah it, yeah um, i own big time that's amazing the way that works uh, down to the wire because it, it's exciting to watch a, a, an on-stage weigh-in like they do in, in bassmaster and, and they, they they pretty much uh, choreograph it so it's uh, uh, the outcome is unknown until the very end. They get the guys to weigh in in a matter that you're, you're hanging on the edge of your seat watching it. Uh, but that whole thing with uh, who's qualifying for the classic doesn't shake out that way, and uh, uh, you you got to watch it and follow it, and it doesn't have that excitement or nervousness except for the guys who were in it you know and there's nothing you can do about it and that's got to be tough because we're talking about a sport where it's one guy against the fish uh and you know you are in control of your own destiny you know it's you going out getting the fish making them eat and now you're standing there watching you're cheering for somebody else to knock somebody else out of a out of, out of a qualification that's got to be hard uh, it, it really is. I mean, all the variables that goes into, you know, just even making it back on time, you know, and, uh, there is, there's just so many, uh, so many things that can happen to really shake up that thing. So it is, it's exciting though. Oh, absolutely. Cannot imagine what that is like. Hey, let's talk about the differences. Cause you're one of the guys, uh, uh, a lot of guys have fished, uh, major League Fishing, and a lot of guys have fished Bassmasters, and there are guys who have switched from one to the other. You're the only guy that I know that juggles fishing both 
tournament series, and that means you're fishing by different rules. Uh, you've got the Bassmaster five biggest fish uh, of the day put you, put you uh, you know uh, is is what counts, and and the major league fishing rules are the every fish every legal fish counts. Uh, what does that do to you uh, when you when you're going into a tournament and you're operating under a different set of rules? What what does that do as far as preparation and as far as on water performance? You know, I, I I honestly was worried at first. I really do. I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to mix them up. You know, and think I was <laughs> one of the others and. Uh, I was really worried that, you know, I was going to, you know, throw a fish over and bass master faster, or even in IMLF put one in the, uh, you know, the pro in the uh, bass pro tour, I've actually put one in the live or whatever. So that was my main goal wasn't to mix them up, but I really enjoyed it. Um, it, it was, it was a, it was a nice change, you know, I'd fish a couple of the bass masters, you know, back to back. And then I would jump into uh, bass pro tour and every fish would count and, uh, it was just, it was, it was just kind of neat how uh, it kind of just changed it up and made the season, uh, you know, it, it never got old all year. Like I, I enjoyed last year. I mean, I, if I could do it again, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. But uh, yeah, it was just, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, still, you know, still catching the bass. So that's that's the main thing, you know. Yeah, you, so don't, uh, you don't seem so to have much problem. Awesome. You don't seem to have much problem catching fish, no matter what they uh, throw in your way to try to confuse you. Uh, you do you do real well, and and I was going to ask you if uh, the 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 change in rules affects your pre fishing. Uh, do you pre fish differently, uh, knowing that the tournament is MLF rules as opposed to BASS rules? But but then again, I'm talking to the guy that doesn't put the highest value on pre fishing to begin with. <laughs> yeah, I mean the ones that I can make practice. Uh, I did practice a little bit different form. A lot of the times, uh, you know, uh, a five fish tournament, you know, you're trying to search, find these, like, uh, you know, find five big ones each day you can catch. Uh, and the, what I tried to do with the Bass Pro Tour was just go find as many as I possibly could catch. Um, so I kind of fished differently, different baits. And, uh, man, I mean, it, it, it was a blast. I mean, I, there was one tournament I think I caught, like, uh, I don't know. I think I almost caught forty fish one of the days. You know, and it was just—it was so much fun. So, I, I would think that uh, th that when you're doing that, you're going to uh, uh, from uh, from numbers to high, better quality fish. Uh, pre fishing would be different in the fact that uh, actually throwing out lures and seeing what you can interest is different than using your electronics to try try to find fish and find different fish because the the change in electronics has been so dramatic and i talked to a lot of guys who use their uh, electronics to find the big fish they can actually differentiate between small fish and big fish and, and they'll hit a spot and say oh these are all two pound fish and move on to the next one without really having thrown a lure into it uh is that something like what you do oh no yeah no i don't I don't do any of the electronics really. I mean, I have my, uh, my Lawrence graph on the front and the back, but I, I, what I just use it for is waypoints, you know, and yeah. I, I write in like what I visually saw, like, okay, that was a rock in the water or this was some grass or this is a lay down or this is a riprap bank or this is a good dock. Um, you know, I just kind of make notes. So when I'm running down the lake, I can remember, 
you know, where I got to buy it or whatever, you know, and I, I just, I just, uh, you know, about, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe eight, eight, seven, eight years ago, I just decided to, um, just do what I enjoy doing the most. And that's like being a ride on the bank, you know, being able to either see the bottom or at least touch the bottom of my rod tip. And, uh, I just fish every tournament like that now. That's that, that is excellent. And, uh, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, this is an individual sport and it, it, it all, it all's on your shoulders at day's end. And, and, and it shouldn't be on your graphs, Shoulders, you know, say uh, you you, you want to actually go in there and 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 see what the fish looks like in the flesh and not on the screen. Say say you hit a spot, you hit a rock pile, you're throwing to it, you catch a you know pound and a half fish, another pound and a half fish. Now, now you're you're catching fish, uh, but they're smaller than you'd like. How long does it take you to make the move and say this is a small fish spot? I need to be somewhere else. Um, you know, it's all, it's always really hard on some of those areas like that. Um, because it is like, sometimes like for instance, I think it really depends on what body of water you're on. Yeah. Um, it's for some places like Okeechobee, you'll be catching small ones one after another like that. And then all of a sudden catch an eight pounder, um, you know, compared to like, if you go to like a Champlain or like a Potomac river, um, you know, I guess more Northern lakes, you know, if you do get in those ones where you're catching, two pounder after two pounder uh i've seen a lot of times where you don't you don't re, you don't upgrade you know they're all that size they're all that size uh class uh you know they're all the same age that those fish in that area and you have to kind of move um so yeah i guess i'll really predict it on you know what what if i'm uh you know fishing down south or fishing up north whether uh to stay and, and just catch as many as i can and wait for that big one or just to uh, abandon the school and try to, uh, you know, find find a, a bigger school of fish somewhere else. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. That uh, idea of moving up in size class interests me quite a big deal, and you certainly know what you're doing, and love talking to you, John, because I, I like the way you approach this. It's very, very different. It's, it's very basic, and... Uh, yeah, I'm very, very basic over here. You're not, you're not intimidated by any of this, and you know what? We, I don't care if it's... You know, I look, I'm a baseball fan. I watch all this stuff and talk about spin rates and this and that, and I go, hey, yep. throw, throw, throw the ball, get the guy to swing and miss. It's a lot easier than they're making it out to be. I think fishing is the same way, and we're going to talk to one of the best in the business, the Tin Man himself, John Cox. We Fish ASA will be right back. I am Steve Sarley. My guest is John Cox, and we will be right back after this. For most anglers, the unexpected is expected. But what you can do is take matters into the seat of your, well, shorts. Meet Aftco's Overboard Shorts, winner of the iCast Best in Category for Technical Clothing. Built with a 100% submersible pocket that keeps the unexpected dry dock for the other guy. Overboard keeps the good times rolling and your valuables safe for the next adventure. Overboard Shorts from Aftco. Learn more at aftco.com overboard. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. 
while Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth, St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner, Dave Kranz, is remote. Somebody else who's remote is my guest. He is the Tin Man. He is John Cox. Why do they call you the Tin Man, John? I've been running a uh, aluminum John boat in the professional tournaments for, um, I don't know, probably about 11 years. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And getting more popular. You're not the only Tin Man anymore. Yeah, oh yeah, no, it it, uh, it really changed. You know, I remember those first couple years uh, I was out there in a, uh, uh, I think it was a 17 or 19 foot crest liner. Uh, one, the first year was with a 75, and then they brought a rule in where you had to have a roll 150. And now it's like taking off to where, you know, there's there's over a dozen of us out there in a, you know, 20-foot aluminum boat, 250 on it, you know. So it's, uh, you know, it's really growing. There's a lot of other guys, uh, you know, uh, going the aluminum route now. You know, it, it's, it's pretty funny because everybody has the same, uh, not the same, everybody uses the same boat for every tournament, right? Yeah, they, they made that rule, you know, a couple years ago, I was going back and forth, uh, you know, I'd use my flat bottom uh, down south and in the rivers and stuff, and it would go up north to use the DV, but now it's uh, same boat through the entire season you have to use. Yeah, the, the walleye guys do that, uh, and I, I, I have fished, uh, I have fished some walleye tournaments, and I'll see guys. And I go, what's he riding? I ask, and I'll call angle. I said, pro, what's he? Oh, he uses that on rivers. Uh, and I, oh, that I didn't think you could do that, but that makes a lot of sense, especially if you can afford, if, especially if you can afford multiple boats. Um, yeah, th that is absolutely amazing. Hey, I, one of the things that I have read you talk about is your. Lack of success on home waters, and I'm talking home waters for you being the entire state of Florida. You're from the Berry, Florida, which is in the, the central part of the state, uh, and, and you admit to having trouble on home waters. Why is that? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, um, in the in the past, you know, growing up fishing team tournaments, we won a ton of tournaments here in Florida. Um, but for some reason, all these big tournaments, when they come in, um, you know, fishing four day events, you know, uh, you know, I've been, I've, I've led, uh, quite a few of them and, uh, just never been able to get it done. It's really weird. And, um, you know, I'm hoping to make a change to it this year. I almost, I think, I, I think that every year that like, you know, what am I going to do different? Uh, you know, this year, 
I decided to cut pre-practice out completely. You know, I, I didn't really go uh, – I didn't go look at any of the uh, places where we were going to have the tournaments. And uh, I'm just going to try to stay fresh. And when we get there, I'm going to do my, you know, my two or three days of practice and, uh, and just see what happens. Excellent. No, you know what? Uh, there is so much great bass fishing from Canada – down through Mexico, you know, there, there's no shortage of places you can go to catch quality bass and have a shot at a fish of a lifetime. Uh, and Florida certainly holds big fish, or big numbers of fish. But I've got to tell you, if I have guys say that they would not like to fish in a particular state, most professionals hold Florida in that regard. They'll say, I just don't like those Florida uh, lakes for those tournaments. Uh, I think everybody has a, a has something negative to say about Florida because they're not consistent. They don't. Nobody uh, owns it. Whenever you've got a tournament in Florida, it's a coin flip as to who's going to win it because nobody's got that state figured out for as much fishing as done down there. Right. Yeah. And you know, you know, just talking about that makes me think. Like, you know, it is. It's it's completely different. Uh, every event we have in Florida. So it really, you know, when you have that little bit of practice to, to find them the last four days, it is very hard to, uh, you know, for someone to do that, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. What's your favorite, favorite, uh, like, uh, to go to? Uh, my favorite's gotta be, uh, right now it's probably a toss up between Champlain and St. Lawrence. You know, I really love it up there. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time up there uh, in the summer. You know, it seems like we're up there almost every summer. And, uh, man, I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm just starting to really like it up there and starting to finally learn it. You know, I, I went, I don't, I don't know, it might have been a year before last or a couple of years ago, I, I went, you know, didn't get a, um, a check uh, at either of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, just this last year, you know, it was really good, you know, uh, you know, almost I had a shot to win both of them on the St. Lawrence, and then uh, even Champlain the first day I was over there did really well. So I don't, I don't know. So I, I just those got to be my two favorite up there. Yeah, my my partner Dave, uh, who is remote, fishes the uh, uh, the Toyota series of uh, MLF, and uh, he he fishes the the northern the northern series. And the first time he said, uh, "Oh, he says I'm." Checking one off my bucket list. I'm going to St. Lawrence. I'm checking, and then the next year, I said, "Man, that's the only place you can do the bucket list over and over." You know, bucket list is supposed <laughs> to be once in your life, not every year. Sometimes twice because MLF is doing it and Bassmaster Elite is is doing it. You can, you can fish a lake like that multiple times and when you look at the list you get some of these legends that sign up for a tournament. And go, why is he driving all the way there? And, and if you talk to him and ask him, say, well, why would I not go there? It's it's a St. Lawrence. I got a chance to catch, you know, seven-pound smallmouth. Oh, my. It's it's like uh, uh, guys are in awe of that uh, smallmouth fishery. And then again, of course, uh, you've got uh, uh, Champlain, which is a possibility for big largemouth and big smallmouth, both. Mm -hmm. I, I can understand that, but uh, what a reputation that area has for fishing. Yeah, I mean it is it is hard to come home from there. I mean that's usually I think last I think last year I probably spent 
normally at least six weeks there, you know, <laughs> between tournaments and after the tournaments were over, staying. I mean, it was just, uh, it's an awesome place. Uh, Florida DNR does a uh, does a wonderful job. I, I must say, it's uh, it, it's great water, very fertile water. Um, they, they've had some some water problems down there, and, and they've uh, faced that and done real well. But uh, I, I've got to think that you being down there, you've got to give props to uh, your DNR for doing such a good job and making a great fishery for everybody. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's just with anywhere. I mean, you just, um, the thing is, is they seem like they're always hit with something, either like, uh, uh, you know, hurricane or whatever it might be. And uh, they're always working hard, uh, you know, trying to, you know, fix everything up to, to make fishing great. So, um, yeah, my hat's off to them for sure. Hey, I, I talk about this. You're in the, uh, the, the state that draws more tourists than any other. Florida's just you know loaded with tourists because there's so much down there to do especially in the central part of the state with with the the uh, multiple disney operations and sea world and universal mm-hmm. and all, all that stuff and, and and people everybody that's got kids has been to to, to the uh, to disney you know uh without a doubt uh, do the rides and all that stuff but people don't realize that you can fish while you're on disney property and it may be the best fishing you'll ever do in your life <laughs> yeah, that, that's what, that is crazy. I mean, there is uh, there is so much down here to do, and uh, yeah, you can you can be at Disney one day, and uh, and I, I think they they have boats right there that you can will even take you out. And there's tons of guides in there too. I mean, there's uh, there's no shortage of water or bass here. No, it, it, it's amazing that some of those lakes, uh, you know, in our Orlando Kissimmee area get beaten so badly. They've got so much pressure on them and, and they just keep giving up fish constantly. It, it, I think it, uh, Florida's uh, magnificent in, in the way they manage, in the way they manage fishing. I, I, you know, hats off to Florida. Not that they need any more publicity to draw tourism down there, but uh, they, they do, they do do a great job. Mm-hmm. Talk, yeah, they, they sure do. I want to go back. I was talking about you know being on a spot that's yielding uh, the legal fish, and then looking for a spot that's going to yield uh, larger fish uh, to fit the different rules that you're fishing. I, I talked to you about you know if you caught caught a number of smaller fish, w- would you move? Uh, is there a way when you're on a spot that's producing fish? Is there something you could do to say, okay, before I get out of here, I'm going to try something that is going to attract bigger fish than the ones I'm catching? What would you do to move up in class size-wise without turning on the motor? Yeah, you know, that's like, that's something that, you know, I try to figure out. Um, It seems to differ a lot, you know, and sometimes it's almost like that's where some of the luck, I feel like, comes in where um, you make a bait change, um, you know, and you throw in something a little different and you do catch a big one, you do trick a big one, you know, like you're tricking these smaller ones and eating. And, you know, so for instance, like you pick up something, either like a big swim bait or, um, you know, that, and that's the thing a lot of the guys are doing, they're throwing those big glide baits now. And uh, I'm not, I haven't jumped on the bandwagon yet, but a lot of the guys, that's what they're doing. They're catching, you know, small ones or whatever. They're picking up that big glide bait, catching big ones. Um, but, like, what I would do, I would either go to, like, a big jig or, um, uh, you know, or a bigger, uh, you know, I like throwing, uh, you know, a general, you know, Berkeley general. So, I like, 
you know, I'll just either, if I'm throwing like a five inch catching a bunch, I'll just up, go to the bigger size. I'll go to the six inch, you know? Um, and sometimes even, uh, sometimes I'll even add more, more weight. Like if I'm throwing a Texas rig or whatever, I'll try to go up a little bit on weight, um, to try to get more reaction and maybe a bigger fish that's more, you know, it might be a little smarter, you know, might, might be seeing too much of the bait, you know, and I'll either throw it out there, uh, with a little bit uh, more weight or with, you know, versus with the jig, I'll try to swim it faster, you know, jerk it out of there quicker to try to get that reaction bite uh, from a bigger fish. Great, great answer, man. Time goes by so fast when I get to talk to you. I enjoy it so much. Folks, we're on with John Cox, the tin man. They call him that because he runs a tin boat. Uh, you listen to him talk today and it breaks it down, makes fishing seem a lot easier. You know, as a, as a, as a weekend fisherman to me, John Cox, I, I, sometimes I look at this and go, man, I see these guys and they got these boats and they're all decked out with this incredible equipment, uh, you, you know, uh, between multiple electronics, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the spot lock on your trolling motor, the power poles, all that stuff. You know, I, I don't have that stuff. Maybe I'd be better if I could afford all that stuff. And not that you don't have it, but you kind of pare away all of the trappings of big money. And you just want to run your boat and, and have a rod in your hand. And then you, you can make it happen from there. And I think you're an inspiration to any weekend angler who's out there trying to get better. If, if, if I wanted to be better, I'd say I'd listen to what John Cox was talking about because he, he, to me, you are like the the uh, average weekend angler who has figured it out and and made an incredible success out of it. Uh, oh, geez, Steve. I mean, that, I mean that, that that you pretty much said it. I, I I love to fish. I mean, I I fish now just like I fished back in the Jumbo Club days. You know, and, uh, you know, I don't I don't feel any different. I, you know, I don't. Uh, you know, I I still you know every once in a while I'll you know walk out of my house or the hotel and see the truck and boat and be just, you know, like almost need to be pinched, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, nobody, nobody's going to be pinching John Cox. He'll deal with that if, if that happens. No way. Hey, John Cox, this is great. I enjoyed having you. Uh, hopefully this COVID thing uh, uh, goes back down a little bit. It's, it's, it's rearing its ugly head. I would certainly be uh, honored to see you at the Classic or at the Red Crest. I plan on doing at least one of those if, if this thing... Uh, stays down and, and we want a big turnout because uh this could be the big year for john cox so winning either a classic or a red crest or both we want to have a big crowd there to welcome him home john thanks for being with us good luck this season we'll talk to you again real soon all right thanks steve talk to you soon thank See you, you thank you john cox the tin man he is something else one of my favorites in the business john cox that wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Dan Jastin from St. Croix. Bill Taylor, Major League Fishing. Yeah, he's a tournament director. He just retired. He was a tournament director. He's got great stories. He's a great guy. And uh, won't be the last time you hear about Bill Taylor. We also had John Cox, a 10-man with us. You just heard him, one of my favorites. Absolutely think John Cox is incredible. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. Daiwa, they have what you need for every application at every price. 
There is no reason not to be using Daiwa Reels. You need another reason? They've got your bass covered. Yes, they do. Daiwa Reels. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 everywhere you get your podcasts. But don't forget our website, wefishasa.com. Don't forget, wefishasa.com is the place to write us. We answer all of your correspondence, so have at it. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week. Now, let's go fishing. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.